0: Hi, this is Albert Lee, and you're listening to Talking Blues. Let
1: me ask you about your dad. He was a musician.
0: Not a professional musician, oh, okay. but, but he loved music, and uh, he could play tunes on the piano and the accordion, and he was a good singer, too but just for his own enjoyment and being in the pub and singing to his friends, or, and that, that was the extent of it. But he, he
1: loved, he appreciated music. I presume his love of music was transferred to you?
0: Well, yeah, because um, we we had a piano, and they, they soon discovered that I was able to uh, pick out notes on it, and, and they thought, well, wouldn't it be a good idea to get have him take piano lessons so i had to, i had lessons for like 2 years and i think um i think i was 9 or 10 when i first began taking the lessons but i was i enjoyed it but i was i was also lazy because i <laughs> the, i had two different teachers you know and the last teacher i had she uh, spoke to my parents and she said well he's he's obviously not practicing and uh, you, I think you're wasting your money, you know.
1: Did you have a love of music back then?
0: Oh, I listened to radio all the time. Okay. I love listening to radio. So that didn't transfer into playing piano
1: immediately? Like that didn't... Your play, well, piano the, playing wasn't affected by the love of music or influenced by the
0: love oh, of music. Oh, well it, well, it was. The piano was there, and uh, I, I loved any music that I heard at that time, you know. Yeah. Um, but it was the guitar. Well, that that was that was the turning point um, when uh, the the music changed, you know, around f- 1956, 55, 56, and uh, we, you know, you have to realize I was living in London, mm-hmm. and uh, there was only one or two stations that we could listen to on the radio, the BBC. It was very limited, right. and there were very few. Programs that were dedicated to one type of music, you know, there'd be a request program and they'd they'd play like a Doris Day record and then they'd play a little Richard record or, you know, so that it was a a whole mixture of uh, of music we were listening to in, in popular music right. and there was a classical station too which I I rarely listened to, but um, no we listened to. Uh, just listen to the radio all the time, I, I loved it. How did the guitar come about? Well, there was a guy in England who, was there, who became our first local hero. His name was Lonnie Donegan. And he, was, uh, he sang uh, American folk songs and blues songs right. uh, but with a, a really good um, jazz rhythm sec- section. You know, he had a really fine guitar player with him. He, Lonnie, played guitar. You know, just uh, acoustic strumming the chords. But he was, re- he was really intense, and he he, he really uh, drove the music along with with his voice. And, and you know, i mean, looking back on it now. I think he was just like head and shoulders above any anyone else that we'd heard in the UK. Wow. You know, and it, but he was heavily influenced by. Woody Guthrie and uh, Lead Belly and, you know, uh, lots of people like that, you know. So watching him made you want to play guitar? Yeah, well, I, I maybe I saw him once or twice on the TV We've, when we eventually got a TV. But it was records, really, hearing records. And uh, a couple of school friends had guitars. And I, I was actually playing guitar for about 18 months Without well, actually owning one, I used to borrow them from right. various people, you know, and then they'd take them back, you know, and they'd all go, "Gotta get that guitar back." <laughs> and then, um, I think, let's see. Uh, did Did the guitar come easy to you? In terms of learning how to play? It? Oh, it did. It did. I, there was no one to see, no one to watch. You right. Know? So and you I, just—I could hear, yeah, I could hear. I knew how it was tuned up, and I could hear hear uh, something simple on a guitar on a record, and I, I think, I think I know where he's where he's playing that, you know. Wow! So, uh, uh, I taught myself. I didn't have any any guitar lessons. I'm totally self-taught. Okay, so you're also known
1: for your fast playing, your fast picking. Was that a goal at some point? Like, did you? Well, I had some heroes that played very fast. Yeah. yeah. And but you
0: could decipher yeah. what they were doing very easily. Um, it took me a while. It took me a while, and it took me a, it took me a while to, to be able to play that fast. Right. You know, but uh, that that was that was a kind of goal, really, to be able to be, you know, really dexterous, uh, you know, up and down the fingerboard. A lot of uh, guitar players we would listen to at that time, you know, the the Chuck Berries and yeah. so on, it would all be in one position, you know. But, uh, you know, I liked the guys who really used the whole, the whole of the fingerboard, you know, and I could, uh, t- you know, I didn't, uh, I couldn't figure it out that quickly, but I did eventually Learn a a lot of things from those early records. Buddy Holly, I learned his solos. I mean, they weren't very difficult. Looking back on it, but uh, there was a guy who played uh, with Jim Vincent on his first two albums, and he was a little older than some of the rock and roll players that were around. He was probably thirty, you know, whereas (laughs) the other guys were, you know, in their teens and early twenties, and he was he was quite. uh, he was. It's quite well tutored, you know. He was. You could tell that he was influenced by, by uh, Chet Atkins. He was influenced by uh, Les Paul, so he really knew his way around. So, uh, that, learning his solos, I learned all the, every solo on on the two albums that he did with Gene Vincent, right. and they became ex- exercises for me. I really learned my way around, you know, just uh, trying to play solos. But there were other guitar players too. There was James Burton who played with Ricky Nelson, and uh, Scotty Moore, of course, who played with with Elvis Presley. So, uh, you know, looking back on it, uh, a lot of that stuff was fairly simple compared with what the the kids are doing now. All (laughs) the shredding, you know. Um, But Back then, you know, I think that the what the guys were doing was more melodic, mm-hmm. and I've always been aware of that. You know, of making something sound melodic, and uh, you know, my my big influence now uh, hasn't been guitar players for a while. It's been uh, having listened to classical music. I listen to a lot of classical music on the radio or on, you know, iPod or whatever. Right. And uh, I just love great melodies. So when you were growing up, you weren't really listening to a lot of classical music,
1: or you said you didn't listen to that. Not a lot of classical music, no. When did that appreciation for classical
0: music happen? Oh, I guess, um, I guess in the mid-60s, I started to pick up a couple of records and think, oh, yeah, You know, I'd, I'd heard some of these pieces on the radio and I thought, well, I like this. I might even buy a copy of it, you know. <laughs> so, uh, and then, you know, it's gotten to the point now that I buy more classical records than, uh, than uh, the, the kind of music I play. Right.
1: Um, has your appreciation and love of classical music affected the way
0: or influenced the way you play now? Oh, I think so. You know, you can't beat a good melody, Right. you know. So at the, and the, and the taste in the playing, you know, there are a lot of uh, guitar players now who just uh, got amazing techniques, mm-hmm. but they don't they don't uh, reach your heart with what they're doing, you know. And I think that that's important. Well,
1: I think it's a tricky thing to be able to play fast, and I can see why a guitar player would say. I want to play fast mm. because it's not to show off, but mm. um, it's a challenge. But I, I think mm. there's a there's a difference between playing fast and playing something melodic or something mm. that has a feel to it, yeah. as opposed to just a bunch of notes. Exactly. Yeah. And I always talk yeah. about BB King and his one note.
0: Oh well, yeah, of course, yeah. I mean, it, uh, you know, very simple stuff, but just a f- so full of emotion. So
1: was that ever an issue for you while you were trying to become a
0: very fast picker to have that emotion? Oh, yes. Uh, You know, that wasn't... Playing fast wasn't my only goal. I wanted to emulate all the heroes I had. And, you know, some of them were playing fast and some were were playing very beautiful melodies and, you know, simple solos, but They were well constructed. And, uh, you know, I got to the point after a a number of years, I I, I did learn quite quickly, really, to put it all together. Um, You know, I went on the road when I was 16. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, looking back on it, I wasn't that accomplished. But it, it all came within the next... Two years, I think. Wow! I managed to get uh, a, a really good guitar, and that you know that made that was took me ahead, took me ahead by leaps and bounds because it, all of a sudden I was playing a really great sounding guitar that was actually easy to play Right. compared with all the toys that I've been playing prior to that. So was this the Les Paul? or Was this the Tele? Well, yeah. The first first one was the Les Paul. Yeah. So tell me about.
1: I know that you were greatly influenced by rock and roll, blues and country. Mm-hmm. Um and and I don't know if it's fair to say that you lean a little more towards country
0: than Well I that, that that seemed that kind of took its own course, really. I did like it a lot and uh I had a I was in the sixties I was playing in an R and B band, mm-hmm. you know, so we were playing blues and R and B and and uh, so I enjoyed that but I was at the same time I was buying George Jones and Buck Owens records and I really liked liked the sound of them and the guitar playing so I did uh, in the late 60s I had a a country band for about 18 months and I realized that I wasn't going to be able to make a living doing that in England (laughs) you know be, and,
1: because because it was England or because
0: of oh well part partly yeah I, I I guess that you know I was playing to people who loved country music but they didn't take they didn't take us seriously because right. they thought well you can't you know you're not you're not American so how can you be you know <laughs>
1: why well, those guys you, are
0: better because they're American you know and uh, yeah
1: but, but I mean I think the blues players. I mean, you could argue that that might be the same that any you know, the British young kids who were playing blues—they yeah. were not really American, but they certainly oh, yeah. did a lot for the blues. They, they,
0: they really focused on it, and they—they, they, uh, I think I what I did it was in a in a smaller way uh, than you know, like the Claptons and and the Jeff Becks, right. you know, because they they'd uh, learn, learn to play the blues and uh and i think we we gave it like an english flavor to it right. you know i mean there was eric was like totally dedicated to playing the way it should be played you know and mm-hmm. uh, so he sounded more american than a lot of us you know but uh i think my the way i played guitar it was uh, uh, by the time i'd been got gotten rolling in the 60s uh My guitar playing was going in lots of different directions, you know.
1: I wonder, when you started the country band, um, and at this point I don't believe you had been to the United States at the time. No, no. So I wonder what what image you had of country
0: music, other than just listening to the records. Yeah, I just had the records, and uh, I I don't remember ever seeing a real country band, uh, I guess. Well, I used to go to, uh, let's see, around 66 or 67, I used to go to a, a couple of pubs in London where there were country bands playing, English country bands. Right. And that was a pretty exciting time. I thought, oh, there's some guys that are actually doing it here. This is great, you know. And that's actually a couple of those guys and I got together and that's how I put together the, the uh, first con- country band I okay. was in, you know.
1: Um, and then, I, if I'm not mistaken, you did play with Jerry Reed when he came to the United States. Yeah, Canada.
0: oh, I did. Yeah. So, what I mean, was that experience like? Oh, great! We sat down in his hotel room, and uh, I think he liked what I was doing, you know. And he uh, could tell that I'd been I influenced by a lot of American sounds, you right. know. And uh, yeah, he was he was a good friend there for a little while. And we when we, uh, we we we, we uh, he, he encouraged me. And uh, actually, before that, another guy who really encouraged me was uh, 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 an American named Don Peake, who uh, who I met with the Everly brothers right. in 1962. Wow. And we sat together and played a little bit, you know, over a. Uh, you know, a, a, an amount of time, and uh, we'd exchange ideas. He liked what I was doing, and I liked what he was doing. And he was telling me about all the great players and in the states, uh, people I should listen to. You know, he was. He told me about B.B. King. I'd never heard of B.B. B. King in 1962, and uh, and he said, "This this young guy in L.A. he's doing all the all the sessions. He's a really good player. His name's Glenn Campbell." You know, right? Really? <laughs> so. Uh, it was a while before I eventually heard Glenn play, you know, when I realised that Glenn was doing really what I'd love to do, you know.
1: Did you have goals back then? Like when you started your country band or when you with had hands and feet,
0: did you have, like, a, a career goal? Well, we did, yeah. we we. I mean, we put the band together with Head heads, hands and feet. This was like 69, I guess. Right. And... Uh, and we went searching for a record deal, and uh, um, immediately we had uh, two or three labels fighting over us because wow. they were just signing up British bands left, right, and centre. <laughs> you know because the, uh, there were so many bands that were being successful in right. in the States at that time. So uh, yeah, we we signed to Capitol, and we got a really great record deal, and we did uh, we did our first album. Uh, uh, was actually a double album. <laughs> we, we had some nerve. Yeah, but yeah, they, they decided, yeah, well, we've got all these tracks. And uh, they 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 gave us permission to release a double album. And that was the first exposure to the United States. Yeah, uh, you know, of course, it's when the album was, was released, we toured America. We came over and, uh, and we played... Uh, some showcase gigs in Los Angeles at the Troubadour, where a lot of people started, yeah. and uh, and then we tour, go around on major tours, being the opening band for a Pro and Black Oak Arkansas and <laughs> oh, you, you name it. There's just loads, loads of bands that we
1: opened for. Okay, so tell me about your impression of the United States back then, having grown up listening to the music all your life, and then. What was the reality like of being uh, there?
0: Oh, well, I was just overjoyed to be in Los Angeles. I'm glad that I got there first because uh, um, I, I realized pretty soon that this is a, this is where I want to be and there were a lot of my heroes that were living there, right. you know. And uh, so, uh, um, yeah, I, I realized that... Uh, once, I think once, once the heads, hands, and feet broke up, I started to play local bars with various musicians. In fact, I was playing with Don Everly after he and his brother Mate. split. And, uh, you know, I don't know if any of these names mean anything to you, but they were, they were like some of the founders of, of country rock, really. Mm-hmm. And there I was in the middle of them playing in these bars being fully accepted by them and i thought well, this is great this is where i want to be you know because I, d- I didn't have that acceptance in in the uk i didn't i never thought i did because that people used to rave about eric and right. and jeff Beck and and jimmy page and jimmy page was an old friend of mine we we knew each other when we were like 16 you know so why do you think that you didn't get that acceptance was it just the style oh, was well, different oh uh, well the, just the way the music was going I, I was they were They were playing more of a hard rock blues style and uh, I was more influenced by, by I mean I could, I, was, I could play that but I, I wasn't really uh, I was I, I was diverted by a lot of different styles you know I guess I was still searching for a style at that time. Right. And uh I think looking back on it, I I'm you know, the influences that I had with those early rock and roll players, they they gave me an introduction to a lot of different styles or ways of of uh, of playing the guitar. And uh yeah, so uh, you know, I did all right and people you know, I had some followers in England, but uh I didn't really. Uh, the interest in me wasn't as great as it was with Eric at that time, because right. uh, all of a sudden it, the the blues was the thing, you know. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I was playing with a uh, with Chris Farlow, R and B band, you know, and uh, it it was pretty good, you know, but it wasn't the kind of style that Eric was doing, you know. But uh, I, you know, I thought that I was, I was. Uh, Improving all the time, and I liked what I was doing. You know, I, I didn't really want to play like Eric, I wanted to play like me at that right. time, you
1: know. Okay, and once again, I know you're not really a country player, but it yeah. seems like when you came to the States, you were um, accepted greatly for your country playing.
0: Well, you played with a lot of country well, artists, I was, yeah. Well, uh, when, when I was playing with Don Everly, you know, uh, in this bar. You know, there I was playing with one of my heroes, all-time heroes, Buddy Emmons, the world's greatest steel guitar player. Right. You know, still still is, you know. Well, he's passed away now, but, you know, no one, no one can touch what he did. Cause yeah. yeah. He, he just had so much taste and technique, you know. All the others are are, are in his shadow, really. But, but when it, I look at your career... Um, you got
1: to play with a lot of your heroes, well, that's what it seems to me. Oh, I, I did, yeah. Tell me what you, <clears throat> tell me that those experiences, what they, that, well, what they might have well, taught uh, you.
0: Yeah, well, after um, after Head, to Hands and Feet broke up, um, you know, I, I had a record deal with uh, with Warner Brothers, and they wanted me to do a solo album, and. Uh, I don't know. I was I was pretty lazy at the time and I, I I wasn't really working at it. And uh all of a sudden I found myself playing with the Crickets, Buddy Holly's old band. Right. And I I love that music, Buddy Holly. So there I was I was, you know, I I was with them for a couple of years doing this and that and uh, just had a great time with them and they they're great guys and uh, you know, um still dear friends you know did jerry allison the drummer called me yesterday actually we're still still great friends after all these years so i was i was a cricket for a few years and did three albums with them all together but because i was spending more time in los angeles i was just meeting up with more and more musicians you know great musicians and and so uh no, it was a, 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 a great time for me. Um, what did it mean to join Emmylou Harris's band? Well, that that was a big turning point, yeah, because... Uh, well, prior to that, I was with Joe Cocker for a little while, right. you know, and then he decided he was going to go back to England. And and then I'd would uh, i been to see Emmylou Harris play a couple of times, and uh, I knew some of the guys in, in the band because I'd played with them in bars in L.A., right. you know. And uh, but I have I have to say my main reason for going was that James Burton was playing guitar with her, you know, and right. I, wa- I wanted to see James, you know. So uh, I um, I went to one gig in in particular and went backstage to say hello to everybody, and they said, "Oh, Albert, we were just thinking about you. What are you doing for the next couple of weeks?" And I said, "Well, n- not very much, you know." <laughs> This and that, and well, it's, uh, James has got to go off and play with Elvis Presley for a couple of weeks, and we really we've got these gigs, and we, you know, would you like to do them? And uh, I said, God, yeah, I'd love to. So uh, um, I did. I did a I did a gig without even a rehearsal or anything. Well, we we had a long sound check, <laughs> and I, I was familiar with a lot of the stuff she, she was doing, you right. know, because she was doing some some old uh you know good country stuff from the 50s and 60s some s- songs that i was familiar with so it was easy for me to slot in you know uh so uh, i did one or two gigs and then they were all set to go out on the road for a week or so and uh, they were calling james burton and I said come on james you're going to make your mind up are you going to uh are you going to stay with us or or what? You know, and he, anyway he he preferred to stay with Elvis, so it was great for me. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I had a new girlfriend at the time, and uh, off I went on the road, and she moved us out of uh, Joe Cocker's house. Joe had just sold his house. She moved the furniture out of there into a, an apartment that we found. The night before I was due to go on the road, <laughs> and I thought, "Well, this is it now. I'm now living in California, yeah, yeah. playing the kind of music I love," and it, it just went on from there. And it has gone on from there, right?
1: Like, I mean, yeah. have you struggled? Did you have struggle in your career? Like you said, you've well, been yeah, pretty I busy. Well, yeah, I mean, there have
0: been times when uh, when the gigs weren't that uh, frequent. You know, I I did I'd gigs with Joe Cocker, but we, we'd have uh, we'd have time off, you know. I'd do, work with the Everly Brothers, and they might not work for another two months or so, you know. Right. So you try and fill it in with a session here or that there, you know. Well, tell me about that, because
1: when I look at your discography, like you've played on a lot of albums.
0: Yeah, I've done quite a few. Not so much nowadays, but... Yeah. Uh, but how did that happen? How did that start, and...
1: What did that mean to you to be a session Oh, player?
0: well, you know, especially in Los Angeles and, well, in London too, people people get to know of you and they say, oh, you know, he's pretty good, you know, let's get Albert Lee on this, you know. And uh, it just goes from there. Did you know you were good? Oh, I thought I was a pretty good guitar player, yeah. Did you ever lack confidence? Uh, Well, I've always been pretty shy, but... uh. No, I always thought that I was... I mean, there was no one for me to see in England that I really looked up to as a guitar player. Maybe I didn't see Lonnie Donegan with, uh, with his best guitar player. Right. Um, there was a guy called Big Jim Sullivan who worked with Tom Jones and uh, a rock and roll singer named Marty Wilde. Now he was a pretty good player, you know. And there were some jazz players that I'd I'd heard heard of, but I I hadn't really heard them play. So uh, you know, looking back to those times in the early '60s, I thought that I was I was pretty good, and uh, there was no one that really uh, impressed me in England at that time. Maybe uh Eric of course you know for cuz it was, but it was a different style you know yeah yeah um, but uh yeah and of course there were, I'm sure there were jazz players that were way ahead of me at that time Oh, I, I, well one one guy I knew uh from 1958 probably he worked in the west end of the music shop and uh, and he had a bit of a reputation of being a, a you know a really good player. He was he was in his teens yeah. as I was, and that's John McLaughlin. Huh. he was a salesman in the in the in the music store. You know, he did okay. Yeah, <laughs> and then he uh, and then we we played opposite each other. We used to play um, a, j- a jazz club, jazz and blues club called the Flamingo, in the West End of London, and uh, there were lots of Great bands down there, you know, Georgie Fame and the Blue Flames, you know, and yeah, he had a, a pretty good guitar player named Colin Green, and uh, Zoot Money's big roll band had Andy Summers on guitar, and uh, John P- McLaughlin was playing with Ronnie Jones and the Nighttimers. Mm-hmm. That was a kind of R&B type band, you know. So uh, all of a sudden, like, by the mid '60s, there were. Because we were all focused in London, you know you get to see anybody who's any good was there in London you know so it was a, it was an exciting time so when you see somebody good, and I know that you said you
1: weren't challenged by many, but when you when on those rare occasions that you saw somebody who was really special, how did that affect you? how did that influence you how did that oh
0: i, I was i i i no I was very impressed to see someone and uh, that uh, was doing something that I hadn't realized could be done, you know, <laughs> and the same goes for now, nowadays too, you know, and, uh, there are, I mean, there's so many young players out there who are just shredding away, you know, I, I tend not to listen to too many, as I said, I li- I'm listening to classical yeah, music, yeah. you know.
1: Were you obsessive about guitar and getting better, and were you practicing hours
0: and hours? and? Oh, yeah, I played a lot in the 60s, you know, I'd be playing guitar all the time yeah and then and, and when the 70s too yeah I mean I'm I'm, I'm on the road a lot now and uh, when I get off the road uh, I don't really crave picking a guitar up I, yeah, yeah. there are other things to do at home you know when you're trying to maintain a house <laughs> especially yeah. trying to maintain cars as well you know uh, up until recently I've always done a lot of my own uh Repairs on cars, you know. What kind of cars? Do, how many cars do you have? Oh, I don't know, five or six. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, but uh, and I enjoy doing that. But now I'm seventy-six. I find it very hard to <laughs> to get underneath the car and change the oil, you know, because I used to do that all the time. Is this like
1: classic? Are these like classic cars?
0: Is that what you? Oh well they're, well, they're all old. But um, I, you know, I only had one. I only ever bought one new car and I still have it, <laughs> and it's not running at the moment. <laughs> it's, uh, it was 1980, and I think I, I bought it, it was when I'd just done the first album with Eric Clapton, and to celebrate, I, went, I, thought, I, I really wanna buy a sports car, you know, cause my wife had, uh, she had a Volvo, that was our family car, really? you know, and she, did, she bought, wanted a, a Volvo wagon. And uh, I thought, I've, I've always wanted a sports car, so I, bought, I was in two minds whether to buy a Jaguar or or a Triumph. And there was this new Triumph TR8. And I, so I bought one of those, brand new, you know, and I can remember driving it out of the dealership, turned on the radio, and there's Clapton's uh, live version of cocaine that I'd played on. That's just one name. Wow. <laughs> it was meant to be. It was meant to be, yeah. But then. Uh, I guess it was a year or so later, right, I was still, every time I'd see a, a Jaguar drive by, I'd think, <laughs> oh, God, I, I wish i bought a Jag, you know, they're so classy looking and, you know. And uh, so I started looking in the newspaper and, uh, well, by this time I was playing with uh, Clapton. Right. And, uh, of course, he was really into Ferraris, you know, so uh, he, had, uh, he had two maybe two or three when I was with him, I think. And uh, although he was drinking a lot at the time and his manager kind of took the keys away from him. (laughs) Because he'd smashed up a couple of them, you know. So I remember looking in the newspaper one day, one Sunday morning, and there was a Ferrari for $13,000. And I thought, what kind of Ferrari could that be, you know? You know, this this was 1980, 81. So I went down to look at it, you know, and um, my wife was with me when we saw it, and it was beautiful—the 250 GTE in silver, you know. And uh, I thought, "Got to get it! Got to get it!" <laughs> you know. So, so I bought this Ferrari, and I still have that. And I've, <laughs> I've done, I've done all the work on that so far. Wow. You know, and, you know, it's i I'm, I'm a good learner, you know, and I, I pick people's brains too. I remember in the early days I had a friend who had an identical car so I'd be on the phone to him he's like how do I do this how do I do that you know <laughs> so I'm not scared to go in there and start tinkering around with it you know so you must miss your cars and your family I presume, oh, when well, you're on the road I, I miss them especially because they're languishing there and they need attention yeah yeah you know and uh, they, you know cuz they're just uh, deteriorating if I'm not driving them you know?
1: So I have to ask about playing with Clapton
0: I mean obviously you have a long history with him But what was that experience like to go on tour and be in his band for five oh, years? Oh it, it was great fun I think he, uh, the first tour I did with him was with his uh, American band These right. were the guys that he'd had with him for a, a number of years They were all from Tulsa You know Carl Radle and Jamie, Jamie Oldacre And uh, at the end of that first tour he fired the whole band Except for me, and I and I thought, well, what's going on here? You know, and I think he, I think he decided that he wanted to make a change, and they were getting too complacent, and he liked having an English guy around again. You know, so he put an all English band together, and to my great surprise, like at two years later, he fired all those guys too, and I and I still remained. Okay, so when that happens, does he say? I'm gonna get rid of the band, but you're staying. Or does no, do just... no? It was all left to his manager. know, he, he he was too drunk to do to do it. <laughs> no, he, he wouldn't come and tell me personally. No. But do you find out
1: that the rest of the band's gone
0: and you're still in the band? Is that the oh, way it works? Yeah, and they said, well, you know, well, we're gonna make some changes, you know, and uh, we're gonna we're gonna get some some other guys in. And I think it one of it. It happened while we were reco- recording, actually, and. Thank God for uh, Tom Dowd. I don't know if you, yeah, you know no. the producer, Tom Dowd. I mean, he was a, a great uh, um, friend to me, you know. And he's, and I think he probably had a word in Eric's ear said, you should keep Albert because, you know, he's, he's pretty versatile. He's, you should keep him in the band. Yeah. yeah. So I managed to survive, survive there. But
1: Did you ever see the documentary on him?
0: On, on Tom? T- yeah. No, I didn't. Oh, oh I'd love it's... To- Brilliant! Oh no, I should I should check that Yeah, out. like yeah, I mean, right, he was a real sweetheart. I really liked him. I'm sure. Well, yeah. What an amazing man who's contributed so much to music. Mm, yeah. What would you have learned from playing with Eric five years? Oh well, I learned well. Obviously, I was lit- listening to him solo, and uh, you know, he'd get more emotion out of the audience. With about five notes, and I would playing like twenty, you know. <laughs> so it taught me that being fast and agile and, you know, doesn't always uh, doesn't always work, you know. So I d- I did learn from him. And then, are you able to apply that to your playing? Oh yeah, yeah. No, I, I've i become a lot more aware of that, you know, in in, in later years, yeah. But, okay, so
1: before you talked about getting a record deal, but you were too busy playing with the crickets, um, at one point or another you wound up being um, a solo performer
0: or heading your own band. Well, that took a while because I was just too shy. Is it mainly shyness? Well, it was shyness and, I don't know, just reluctance. I was happy to be someone's guitar player. Right. Which uh, is, you know, which is good and, and... And bad, maybe, because I soon realized that I could have been earning more money (laughs) with my own band, you know. But it also comes with a lot more pressure, right? Yeah, well, uh, not really. Once I'd done it, uh, I think the first time I did it, my my youngest daughter was born in 86. So I think it was like 87 when I first fronted a band. And that was from friends of mine in England, who, a friend of mine who had a, he ran, he play, it was a steel guitar player and he ran a steel guitar festival every year in, in the UK. And he called me up one day and he said, hey, he said, I've been, you know, we've been doing this for a number of years now and we've always had lots of, you know, you'd get one or two uh, famous uh, steel players over from America to play his festival. He said, I think it'd be good if we, if we would sort of Expand it and have some good guitar players, too. He said, you know, I'd really like you to come to the festival and do a set
1: Right.
0: I said, well, really? He said, oh, I said uh, Well, how long do you want me to play? He said, well, about an hour or so. And I said, oh, okay Well, oh, yeah, you could do this song. You could do that song. And so I was I was a little nervous about it And I, I flew over and we had a rehearsal and the band was good and uh, we did we did the the show at the festival, we did our set, and I came off, and I thought, boy, that was a bit easier than I thought it was going to be. <laughs> so then we started booking gigs, and uh, and I, I was with those guys, with most of them for for twenty five years or more. Uh, being
1: so, would you, would it be correct to say that it was more you were the front man versus? it being a collective oh, yeah, no, band I was, the, I was the lead singer and, and, uh, so how did that feel when all of a sudden you're taking front stage
0: uh, well once I got used to it I'd, I really enjoyed it
1: but within that first gig you kind of <clears throat> got
0: used to it and enjoyed well, it well I thought at the end of it I thought well that went alright you know I wouldn't mind trying this again <laughs> you know and uh, you know I really have to thank those guys because they they did push me into that position mm-hmm. and uh you know, I'd been a singer. I'd done, I'd done two solo albums, and and sung on them. But um, you know, looking back on them, my vocals weren't that good. You know, but my my vocals really improved playing with the band every night, right. singing with with the band. And so by the time I'd been with those guys for 20 years, I think my, my voice had really come into its own. And are you comfortable with your voice now? Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I uh, get a bit worn out. You know, yeah. I'm, I'm lucky, really, that at my age, that people say to me, well, you sound like a young guy when you're singing. You know, and I thought, oh, well, thanks. <laughs> you know, a, a lot of guys get real croaky. I'm a little croaky now, but, uh, you know, guys who've been singing their whole life, and they get to into their 70s, yeah. I just don't have the chops anymore, you know? And it does uh, fade away, you know, well, it's bound to, you know? Yeah. But I, in that respect, I think I've been very lucky. I have to
1: ask about one of your songs, Country
0: Boy. Mm.
1: Tell me about that song and what it means to you, and also the fact that it became a big hit for somebody else.
0: Yeah, well, uh, that was when we were doing the first Head, Hands and Feet album. Uh, Tony Colton and Ray Smith were the main writers in the band, and uh, other band members used to pitch in as well. You right. know, but uh, they, Tony and Ray, had decided that we really needed a good vehicle for my guitar playing, and that's, a, excuse me, that's how it came about. And uh, we recorded it about three times. We did it, did it on electric gut string. Did it on a Les Paul, and I also did it on a Telecaster, and we settled for the version with the gut string, because right. I was really into Jerry Reed <laughs> at the time, you know. So I was playing things that I thought that maybe Jerry Reed would play, you know. But uh, yeah, I mean, it uh, uh, it became a, a you know a real crowd pleaser, and uh, you know then years later when I joined Emmylou. I played her a, a recording on the bus after a gig one night, and said, boy, that's great! Why, oh, are you got to do that tomorrow night?" <laughs> you know, so so we learned it with Emmy Lou, and that then that became one of our big songs in the band. You know, I and can then see the, why. Yeah, and then the following year, uh, Ricky Skaggs joined the band, and uh, he, I recorded it again with the Hot Band, and uh, Ricky and Emmy are both on it. You know, so that was when uh, you know it was a. Few years later that Ricky called me up he said hey he said I've done your song I said what song he said I've done Country Boy oh I said oh well great he said I'm going to do a video I need your permission to do a video I said oh of course yeah great you know and it's a really good video it is a good video it's a fun (laughs) video what a great song
1: though and I can't imagine that that would be an easy song to play
0: well it isn't no (laughs) and I have to say it's not as easy as it was for me you know, because it's uh, oh, it is—it's pretty fast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, do you still play it on a regular basis? Oh, oh yeah, every night. Yeah.
1: So, how would your approach to that song be different now than it was back then?
0: Uh, I don't know. It it varies from night to night. I play a lot of licks that that I've always played, and you know, some licks come and go. You know, um, you know, there are some nights where I might be really. Uh, inspired you know and, and throwing a lot of sort of off the wall things and whatever you know but uh no I, I like to do it some nights are not not as good as others you know but right. i've got i've got the uh, dupy trends contraction here see this yeah, yeah. finger won't go back so that that's it's not really affecting my guitar playing that much but my piano playing I have to <laughs> I have to rethink everything <laughs> on the piano wow. otherwise I'm hitting wrong notes you know but you can just do that on the fly yeah yeah but yeah, I yeah I need to there are various things that I could have done and I'm, I'm a bit nervous about it but it is getting it's getting worse you know right. so I should uh, I should investigate it really well I have to wrap this up but I, I want to thank you for this time um Oh, well, you're most, you're most welcome, thank you. I'm, I'm glad that I'm still able to do this after all these years. So my, my
1: last question was basically yeah. about that. I mean, when you look back on your career,
0: which is like ridiculously
1: insane, how, how many things you've done and the, the recordings you've been involved in, how do you look back on it personally?
0: Well, I, I, I consider myself really fortunate that I was always able to play, play well, and uh, people were uh, always happy to hear me play, mm-hmm. you know. So I, you know, I'm. Uh, uh, I'll keep doing this until I can't do it any anymore, you know. I mean, I'm. But I'm already booked up for next year, but, <laughs> you know. I've got. I've got Jim Cowan, my American manager, who he manages most of my stuff, you know but uh, as a young lady who's, who's just flown over uh, from England for, the, for uh, these two gigs and for the gig in Clear Lake, Iowa, you know, and she books me in Europe, you know, and uh, so between the two of them, I, I hardly have any, have any time to be home and work on the cars <laughs> or, or whatever, you know. So in that respect, I'm, I'm, I'm lucky really. I need to. I need to uh, try and take a little more time off. But uh, you know, on the other hand, it's it's good to to have the money coming in. You know, there are no pensions. You know. Yeah. Are you still <laughs> as passionate about music as you were? Yeah, I, do, I I get I get excited. Yeah, of course I do. Yeah, you know, um, I get excited about the music I play most nights, and I get certainly get excited about. Classical records and something new I've discovered. You know, yeah, yeah. that's a whole new th- thing for me. Even though I've been listening to classical music for forty, fifty years. Would you ever consider a classical album? Oh no, I could, <laughs> no, no. I've been I've been asked to. Uh, I've had a number of people suggest that I do a, a piano album, piano and vocals, because I do a number of songs right. on the piano, and. Uh, People love it, uh, so you know it's something I might consider consider down the road, but the last number of al- last albums I've done have been real quickies, you know they've either been live recordings or they've been done in, in, a, in a couple of days, more like de- you know demos, really right. deluxe demos. And uh, I've been quite happy with the way they've turned out, but uh, at my age, I think that there's still time for me to do a proper studio album, That's you know, with some real preparation, Right. you know, and I need to do that, and you know, of course, you need to come up with uh, some real money for that to mm-hmm. get good studios, and, you know, but uh, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll need to do that. Well, I hope you do. Thank
1: you again for doing this. Oh, it's It's a a real pleasure pleasure.
0: meeting you. And and you too. Thank you so much. (laughs)